0: The scripture reading for this morning is in Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 23. If you're using the Pew Bible, that passage is on page 222. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened To come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant, who was in charge of the reapers, answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one. But keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, And he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our Redeemer's. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until after they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter in law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest and she lived with her mother-in-law. Amen.
1: Well, thank you, Jerry, for that long reading. We appreciate it. As I said before, my name is Jeff, and uh, it's my privilege to be with you today to bring you God's word. Um, Before I do so, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we ask you to illuminate our minds, to soften our hearts so that they are good seed, good soil for the seed that will be sowed and it might grow to fruition in us today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's not an inch in the whole area of human existence of which Christ, the sovereign of all, does not cry, it is mine. Dutch statesman Abraham Kuyper said those words in 1880. On the largest scale, they mean that no historical movement, political regime, geologic epoch, or even natural disaster is outside of God's knowledge or beyond his providential reach. And at the other end of the scale, no inch of creation, no single decision or action made by any person, and no circumstance we can find ourselves in is outside of God's good providence for us. The second chapter of the book of Ruth is a subtle and lovely reminder of this truth of Kuiper's statement. For when we read the story of Ruth, we see that the one true God is constantly continuously, lovingly active, guiding and directing all of our lives according to his sovereign and gracious will, and that by his good providence, he acts in and through the everyday decisions, actions, and circumstances of men and women to accomplish without fail all of his purposes. It's been a number of months now since we looked at Ruth chapter 1 together so let's set our compass for where we're headed in Ruth chapter 2 by looking briefly back at the first chapter it was during the days of the judges we're told there, there was a famine in the land and an Israelite family from Bethlehem and Judah went to live in the nearby country of Moab up in the hills a curious decision since the Moabites were actually ancient enemies of Israel and forbidden to enter the assembly of God's people While they were there, the couple's two sons married Moabite women, raising more red flags. Then in succession, Naomi, the wife and mother, became a widow and lost her two sons, leaving her alone in a foreign land with her two Moabite daughters-in-law. After living in Moab for a period of about 10 years, we're told that Naomi decided to head back to Bethlehem with both of her daughters-in-law because she'd heard the famine was over. Naomi talked one of her daughters-in-law into going back to her parents and their gods, but the other, named Ruth, the title character of the story, refused to leave Naomi's side with the stirring and memorable words, where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Well, finally, after her long absence, Naomi returned to Bethlehem with her remaining daughter-in-law, stirring up the whole town. But she told the townswomen, if you remember, do not call me Naomi. That was her name. Rather, call me Mara, bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Well, these, these comments from Naomi at the end of chapter 1 actually provide insight into the main theme that runs all the way through the book of Ruth. When she says, The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me, Naomi is attributing everything that has occurred in her life to that point, including all of her difficulties to the Almighty God, El Shaddai, a Hebrew name for God that emphasizes his ability to fulfill all all of his intended purposes. There's no doubt in her mind that her life is in the Almighty God's hands, even though she may not welcome it or approve of what he's doing. So this is where we pick up the story in chapter 2 after one last reminder of the setting from the end of chapter 1. From the final sentence we learn that Naomi and Ruth came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest a simple little detail but it significantly impacts the rest of the story. Having laid the groundwork, let's start our journey then through Ruth chapter 2. Structurally, the book is essentially a short story so our outline will simply follow the action. As I read, I don't know if you do the same, I I picture the action unfolding in my head like the scenes of a movie. Scene 1, Ruth goes gleaning. That's verses one through seven. In scene two, verses eight through 17, Ruth and Boaz meet. And then in the final scene, Ruth and Naomi both learn something important in verses 18 to 23. Let me read verses one through three again. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clive of, El- of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. Well, the first thing we learn is that Naomi had a relative. It's one of those pieces of information in a story that you know is going to be important, but you're not sure how just yet. We're told his name is Boaz, and he's described as a worthy man. We might say he's a man of character or a good guy. Now we, the audience, know this information, and clearly Naomi is aware that she has this relative. But Ruth is oblivious to his existence at this point. We learn from verse 2 that Ruth asked her mother-in-law for permission to go and glean in the nearby fields. It speaks of Ruth's industriousness, her determination, and even her deference to her mother-in-law when she asks permission in order to do all that she can to help. Bethlehem's a farming community. Its name means house of bread. And so it's surrounded by fields. You remember that Naomi and Ruth had returned to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So the author says in verse three that Ruth went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. Well, gleaning is an Old Testament term. Maybe you're familiar with it, maybe not. It, it comes from the book of the law in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. In Leviticus 19:9, 9, we read, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. Deuteronomy adds, for the fatherless and the widow. I am the Lord your God. These gleaning laws were one of the ways that God directed the Israelites to care for those who were less fortunate, the poor, the traveler, the orphans, and the widows throughout the land. The reason they were given to carry out the provision, I am the Lord your God. It's simply part of God's character to care for all people, but particularly the outcast, the poor, the widow, those who are without the means to care for themselves. And if it's part of God's character to do so, shouldn't we see it as part of what we're supposed to do as his followers? One commentator makes a point well. He says, A concern for the just distribution of earth's resources is no soft option for Christian people. The law of gleaning was one of the ways ancient Israel understood their obligation in this respect. Most of us aren't farmers who grow crops, and here in the U.S., we don't follow the ancient laws regarding gleaning anymore. But we would do well to ask ourselves individually and as a church, what steps are we taking to care for the poor, the sojourner or homeless, the fatherless and the widows who live among us, both here in our church and throughout the community? As the commentator put it, It's not a soft option for us as Christians. So Ruth, as a poor widow living in Israel, is a beneficiary of these gleaning laws when she heads out to the fields that day. The plot thickens, as they say, when we're told in verse 3, Ruth happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who, we're reminded for a second time, belonged to the same clan as Ruth's deceased father-in-law, Now, this is masterful storytelling. As a former English teacher, I really appreciate it. The author of Ruth is using what's known as dramatic and situational irony, where we, the readers or hearers, know more than one or more of the characters does in the story. It leads to an increased sense of tension or suspense as the story goes on. Twice we've already been told about Boaz, though Ruth... Knows nothing of his existence. On the other side of the field, Boaz doesn't know Ruth's identity either when she first appears. Even more important is the phrasing that she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Are we really supposed to believe that the author sees it as a pure chance that Ruth shows up in the field of a close relative of her in laws? Highly unlikely. So what's really happening here? It's a critical point in understanding the primary idea at work here in the passage and throughout the book of Ruth. In the four short chapters of this book, there are many hints that God is at work, sort of behind the scenes. But the author never comes out and says things like, Though Naomi's sons ignored God's law and married Moabite wives, yet God was going to accomplish his will despite their poor choices. And he never says, the Lord directed Ruth to the field of Boaz. Instead, as one writer puts it, the writer of Ruth portrays God's guiding hand as totally hidden in normal causality, That is, in the normal, everyday decisions of men and women. The point is that Ruth had no human intent or preconceived notion to seek out the field of her father-in-law's nearest relative. She didn't even know he existed. So the author of Ruth says she happened to come to his field because to her, that's what it seemed like. Maybe she said to herself, I like the look of that field. The barley looks ripe, and the field's pretty full. Or maybe she thought to herself, it looks like there are a lot of people there, so I'll probably be safe. Or if she was like me, she might have thought, you know, the farther I walk, the farther I'm going to have to carry the grain back home at the end of the day. This field looks great! So it is throughout the book. The writer portrays God's guiding hand as totally hidden in normal causality, in weather patterns that cause drought, and then in Naomi and Elimelech's subsequent decision to go to Moab in order to escape it, in the marriage of their sons to Moabite women and the deaths of the three men in the family after, in Naomi's decision to go back to Bethlehem and Ruth's to accompany her, and in their arrival in Bethlehem just at the time of the barley harvest. So on through the story. God works in and through people's circumstances and the decisions they make in the normal course of their lives. Sometimes the people that the providence of the Lord works through are great leaders like Abraham and Moses or Deborah the judge. Sometimes he accomplishes his purposes through spectacular and significant events like the parting of the Red Sea or the turning back of the sun during the day of Joshua. But here in the story of Ruth, God chooses to work through the everyday decisions and life circumstances of very ordinary people. Two widows, one old and one from a foreign land, and their relative, a farmer from Bethlehem. I wonder how the Lord may be working in and through the normal circumstances and decisions of his people here on the west side of Cleveland, Ohio this morning. May the Lord use each of us as instruments in his hand for his providential care of his people and for his glory. To wrap up what happens in scene one of chapter two, yes, we're still in scene one, Boaz comes from Bethlehem and out to the field and greets his workers. The Lord be with you. And they answer, the Lord bless you. It's a traditional sort of greeting, but it shows us that Boaz has the Lord on his mind here early in the morning. During his routine morning rounds, he takes notice of a new woman gleaning in the field. It shows he's attentive to his workers and Something about the woman seems to draw his attention. Her manner of dress, how hard she's working, the fact that he's never seen her in his field before, most likely. Whatever it is, he asks his foreman about her. This is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi, he says. Now Bethlehem's a small town, so no doubt his foreman's description coincides with what he's already heard. Ah, Now he says, I have a face to go with what I've heard, plus a chance to meet the woman. So we come to scene two, in verses eight through 17, in which Ruth meets Boaz. Boaz must have thought about his overseer's words for a while, no doubt mulling them over in his mind. She's young, he thought and beautiful, she's polite, she did ask my foreman's permission to glean here, and how diligent she is, she's been working almost non since she arrived. On the screen in my mind, maybe you too, see him watching her from a distance, formulating an impression of her, even rehearsing in his mind what he wants to say when he gets up to her then making his way slowly, sort of meanderingly, so as not to appear to be headed on purpose toward her. She must have noticed him as, she, as, as he drew near, only then maybe pausing in her gleaning to look up at him. And we read in verse 8 to 9 what happens. Then Boaz said to Ruth, "'Now listen, my daughter. "'Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, "'but keep close to my young women.' Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Well, he calls her my daughter, emphasizing perhaps the difference in their age, but also his protective care for her. Don't go to another field. Stay close to my women workers. Have I not charged my men Clearly, he didn't run straight from his overseer to speak with Ruth, but took time specifically to point Ruth out to them. See that young woman over there? No one is to harass her or touch her. Understand? Well, this is nothing less than God's hidden hand caring for Ruth, the young widow, the foreigner susceptible to unwanted attention. And our opinion of Boaz continues to improve based on his treatment of this young woman. I wonder what she was expecting. Perhaps a harsh rebuke or an invitation to leave the field. After all, Israel and Moab were ancient enemies, and no doubt she's been on the receiving end of harsh and unkind words already. She seems, though, genuinely amazed at the kind of greeting she's received. Look at verse 10. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Well, surprisingly, to her, Boaz's answer is full of grace and kindness. I've heard all about you, he said your husband's death, sticking with your mother-in-law, leaving your mom and dad, and coming to live among a people you didn't even know. Then he actually offers a prayer or a blessing over her. May the Lord repay you for what you've done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take a refuge. Well, Ruth asked the right question, didn't she? Why have I found favor in your eyes since I am a foreigner? There's no hint of deserving anything, only wonder and humility and gratitude. She was just a girl in Moab living with her parents, content with her life and with the religion of her people. Then one day, some family with two boys moved nearby from Judah in Israel of all places. Eventually, she fell in love with one of the boys and married him and spent lots of time with her mother-in-law. She started listening to her stories about the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all that he had done and promised. Until one day, she knew that what Naomi was telling her was the truth. So when Elimelech died, and then her husband and his brother And eventually, Naomi decided to go back to Bethlehem. What could she do? Go back to her family and those old gods that she knew were fakes? No, no. Despite all her troubles, she had to go. Because she knew now that Naomi's God was the real God. God had pursued her up in the highlands of Moab and revealed himself to her. and She had by faith come to believe the promises of Yahweh that he would provide one to come through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. She believed that only this one true God could save her. So she had to come to Bethlehem to take refuge under the wings of the Lord, the God of Israel. Why have I found favor in your eyes since I am a foreigner? Ruth's question is really the proper question for anyone to ask when confronted with the unspeakable goodness of God who has sent a savior, his only son, to redeem undeserving sinners like us. Brothers and sisters, have you grasped hold, have we grasped hold, Hold of the full reward that is ours only by faith in Christ Jesus. How rich a treasure we possess in Jesus Christ, our Lord. His blood, our ransom and defense. His glory, our reward. The sum of all created things is worthless in compare, for our inheritance is Him. Whose praise angels declare. Praise God for the infinite riches that are ours in Christ Jesus. Well, Boaz's eye raising actions towards Ruth didn't stop with his first meeting of her there in the field. Because we see at mealtime, Boaz has Ruth sit with his paid workers dip her bread into the wine, eat roasted grain with them, and then even wrap up her leftovers in a doggy bag to take home. I can tell you with a fair degree of certainty that in middle school, this kind of preferential treatment for the new girl would definitely result in getting bullied. Boaz is unfazed, though. He even pulls his workers aside after Ruth has returned to the field to say, let her harvest even among the actual sheaves, not just what's on the ground. Even pull out some bundles and let, leave them there for her to take and say nothing to her. There's something about this young woman and her story that has gained Boaz's attention and the Lord's unseen hand continues to care for her through Boaz. Well, at the end of the day, Verse 17 says, So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Okay, that didn't really get the response I was expecting, so let me say it again. Ruth harvested a full ephah of barley seed that day. Well, obviously the impact is lost on us since we don't measure in ephahs anymore. So let me put it in perspective. That amounts to about three-fifths of a bushel. Still probably not doing it for us. Picture 10 or 11 two-liter bottles here on the platform filled with barley seed, somewhere between 25 and 30 pounds, depending on the water content of the seed. And she would probably have bundled it all up into a large scarf or shawl-like cloth and either wrapped or tied it onto her back or put it on her head. In Africa, still today, women carry as much as 25 to 35-pound bundles on their heads of all kinds of different things. I like to think that she barely even felt the load, though, thinking about Naomi's response when she walked through the door with that great haul of barley seed. What a beautiful picture of the Lord's kind and abundant, providential care for Ruth and her mother-in-law. Boaz's words must have come back to her at some point, perhaps as she walked through the dusty streets past the wide eyes of the townspeople. A full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Well, finally, we come to the the last scene of chapter 2 from verses 18 to 23, where Ruth and Naomi both learn something important. First, Naomi. Verse 18 simply says... Her mother in law saw what she had gleaned. Then Ruth pulls out the rest of the roasted grain from her mealtime doggy bag. The author stays within the understated narrative style and gives no indication of Naomi's outward response to what must have been an amazing one day harvest of barley. All we have is the hint of her raised eyebrows through her words Where did you glean? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Well, if Ruth was expecting amazement and gushing excitement, she must have been pretty disappointed. Then Naomi learns something important when Ruth tells her, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Naomi's heart must have skipped several beats at Ruth's answer. The narrator has pulled the tension on the string as tight as possible. And as we see the impact of the author's expert use of dramatic irony working on multiple levels, Naomi didn't know the identity of the owner of the field until Ruth revealed it to her. And though Ruth knew his name, the full import of his identity was lost on her until she heard Naomi's response. We see, don't we, that the Bible is God's true word of revelation to us, but it's not some lifeless rule book It reflects the amazing creativity of the creator of all things, who inspired all of the writers, using their varied literary giftedness to write so expertly in so many different genres. Now, we shouldn't be surprised, should we, that the one who makes his messengers winds, his ministers of flaming fire, would make his human messengers equal to the task that they were given. Now it's Ruth's turn to learn something important. First, Naomi speaks a blessing on the man Boaz and on the Lord for his kindness. May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. There's no doubt in Naomi's mind who's responsible for Ruth's success in the field and who's the one ultimately showing them kindness. Boaz may be the agent, but it's the Lord whose kindness hasn't forsaken them. And finally, Naomi reveals the last, most important bit of information about the owner of the field in which Ruth has worked all day. The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. It's like The unseen hand of God becomes visible for a moment, and the fullness of God's protection and care for her and her mother in law must have come flooding over Ruth at that instant. The law of the kinsman redeemer in the Old Testament was a significant means that God established among the people of Israel to care for their brothers and sisters who had lost the means to maintain their property or to perpetuate their family line through offspring. In Deuteronomy 25, we find the law of the kinsman-redeemer spelled out. If a man was married and died without a son, the man's brother was to take his brother's wife as his own, and their first son would take the dead brother's name in order to carry on the family line. The law extended to the dead brother's property as well. In the Israelite culture of Ruth and Naomi's day, The custom had expanded beyond just blood brothers to include closest male relatives. So Boaz, as a close relative, is one of their redeemers. The use of the term redeemer should have us rightly thinking of our great redeemer, Jesus. The kinsman redeemer in Israel in the Old Testament was pointing ahead as an example or a type of the great redeemer to come. He stood in the place of another. He paid the price that the remaining relative was unable to pay in order to redeem his dead relative's property, and even his wife, in order to restore his inheritance among God's people. One of the things that's most striking about the application of this law in this story here is that Ruth is a Moabite, According to Deuteronomy 23:3, no Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of them may enter the assembly of the Lord. Yet, here is Ruth the Moabite, a foreigner who, according to the law, should be outside of God's family looking in. If that sounds familiar, perhaps it's because that's the same condition every christian found him or herself in before trusting in jesus christ maybe it looks familiar to you because it's the view you see and the way you feel this morning looking in from the outside because you've never trusted in christ friends This morning, we've seen the amazing God of the Bible as he pursued this young woman, bringing her under the shelter of his wings so that, as we'll see in the remaining chapters on another day, she might become the great-grandmother of King David and ultimately play a key role in God's plan to provide the very Savior whom she was trusting him for. Today, No matter where you find yourself, that same amazing God is pursuing you. Are you running from Him? Won't you stop running this morning and turn, trust in Christ's loving sacrifice for you, and take refuge under the shelter of the Lord's wings? Are you running with Him? then learn to see his hidden hand of providence working all of our decisions and circumstances for our good and for his glory.